The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 13. We'd like to continue to consider these kingdom of heaven parables that Christ gave here in this chapter. And this morning we'd like to focus on the third and the fourth of those parables being the parable of the mustard seed and then the parable of the leaven. So Jesus is delivering, delivering these kingdom of heaven parables to the multitudes and then there's a few interludes where he is explaining the parable of the sower more in depth to the disciples. Then he gives the parable of the wheat and the tares and I think it is important to note that the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven are delivered to the multitudes and they are not explained in private in the way that the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and tares are explained in private. And then there's other parables, the last three of them, the hidden treasure in a field, the pearl of great price, and then the parable of the net that we considered along with the wheat and tares last time. Those were given just to the disciples, which I think is important uh, because it has a greater, greater significance and understanding for those who are already pursuing Christ in discipleship. So here in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 31, it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, unto the multitude. So this, this parable was delivered unto the great multitude that were following him. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitudes in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. So Jesus delivers this parable unto the multitudes. And the first parable, the parable of the mustard seed, is describing a man that took and sowed a mustard seed in his field. Kind of similar language to the parable of the sower, right? Who's the person who's sowing the seed? Well, that would be Jesus, right? He's putting the seed in his field. And this mustard seed is a very small seed. It says in verse 32, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it has become the greatest among the herbs. So from man's perspective, the mustard seed is very unimpressive. It is very small. And it's not something that you would initially looking at it with no context. You know, sometimes it's beneficial to think about when you're trying to apply common sense in some situation. You know, somebody just drops down from outer space with no knowledge of the way that things work here in this world. If they looked at that little bitty seed, they really probably wouldn't assume that that little bitty seed would create what it ends up creating, right? It's surprising. It's surprising that something so insignificant, something so small would expand to be something that Jesus describes here as the greatest among herbs. It's very surprising. And then, not only does it become a great tree, but the birds of the air come and they lodge in the branches thereof. And that was the nature of the kingdom of God. I mean, think about how um, the kingdom of God began, certainly with John the Baptist preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus was baptized, and then he, has, uh, he calls his 12 disciples, 
And then he reaches the peak of his ministry um, where multitudes are following him, but many of them are following him for the wrong reasons, particularly there in John chapter 6, right? Uh, they saw the loaves and the fishes, and they, they were following for the wrong reason. And then he actually started preaching hard doctrine, and then the Bible calls them disciples. You know, I don't think they were false professors. I think they were, Holy Spirit calls them disciples. But they said, man, these are hard sayings. You know, this is kind of hard to hear. We're, uh, <laughs> it says in the last days that men will seek teachers uh, having itching ears. Well, you know what? He doesn't, he's not really scratching our itch. He's telling us things that are kind of hard to hear instead of just making us feel good all the time. Yeah, I think we'll just kind of go our separate way. So, so there's a period of time where multitudes are following him, and then those people fade away, and then uh, Jesus uh, is betrayed, and he's crucified, and he's resurrected. And then we find there at the beginning of the, of the growth of the church there in Acts chapter 1, we find <clears throat> only 100 and 20 disciples. And isn't that interesting that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, here uh, ministered on earth for three and a half years, and the only faithful disciples that he had remaining at the end of that period were only 120 people. And they weren't very uh, visible to the public because they were all huddled up in an upper room, right? So, that, so they were in secret. They get 120 people all in one room. And isn't it amazing how the God blessed that little bitty mustard seed, right? That little bitty thing that grew and expanded and multiplied and the kingdom of God filled the whole earth. And those 120 disciples, at least the beginning of the 120 disciples, the enemies of the church and the enemies of the disciples of Christ made the accusation in Acts chapter 17 that these that have turned the world upside down have come here also. So it began with just 120 uh, insignificant, unimpressive, and who were the original preachers uh, to, uh, to, that, that God used to expand that, uh, that God used to grow the church. Now, Paul uh, was a very great writer. Uh, that They told him that his letters, they're, they're weighty and powerful, but in, in person, he appeared to be rude, and his speech was contemptible. Uh, he just preached it like it was, and that offended a lot of people too. But the, the original apostles, particularly Peter uh, and Andrew, the two brothers, and then James and John, they were, they were fishermen by, by trade, right? They were fishermen by trade. And then they were preaching there before the very highfalutin Pharisees and the scribes. And they said, you are unlearned and ignorant men. But what was important, though, is they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus, right? But that was, who, that was who God used, right? Unlearned and ignorant men. And 120 people that looked so insignificant to the world, and then God blessed that mustard seed to grow, that mustard seed of the kingdom to grow, to where it expanded throughout the whole world. And we want to focus on that with the leaven. And we'll come to that in just a minute. But in a broader sense, think about how God, in so many areas of life, uses small things to do great things, right? He took just a handful of loaves and fishes, and that was what he used. You know, he took just a little boy's lunch that he was willing to give up his lunch one day. He took a little boy's lunch couple loaves and fishes, and he did great things with that little bitty contribution, with that little bitty mustard seed. And he, sp he fed 5,000 people with that, with that very small contribution. When Jesus is setting a new expectation of this is how the kingdom of God is going to operate, this is what you're used to seeing in the Jewish culture in the first century, you're used to seeing what you think true religion is, is people standing up, and praying loud prayers so they get attention, so they receive praise of men. And you think true religion is them giving uh, alms to someone and blowing a trumpet so everyone sees. This is what you think religion is. But I'm telling you, th uh, this is what you've heard, this is what you've seen, but I say unto you, this is what the real kingdom of heaven is like. And what he tells them there 
with almsgiving and with prayer and also with fasting is that you're used to thinking that true religion is doing it in an external way that everyone can see you and brag on you, but I'm telling you, you do it in secret. You do it where no one can see you. The only person that matters that sees it is the Lord, right? That's the only person that matters to see it. But he also says that if you do that, if you do it faithfully, not to draw attention to yourself, but just to bless others and honor the Lord, he said the person that sees you in secret, God will reward you openly, right? So private devotion, our purity of heart and purity of devotion to the Lord in private is what the Lord sees fit to bless in public, you see? So it's the small daily faithfulness. It's the small, unimpressive, getting up every day and with, with a good attitude and being kind and loving and gracious and treating other people the way they ought to be. That, those are the small contributions that we make that God can use to grow, to bless in a very exceeding way, much more than we can uh, much more than we would have expected. Uh, I hope that you know the verse in Ephesians chapter 3 and in verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. And you and think about the widow's two mites, right? That she said, all I have to give are two mites. I have people uh, all beside me. Not only are they giving more than me, but again... That, that corrupted uh, first century Jewish culture, not only they giving more than me, but they're telling me how much more they gave than, than me because they're putting it in there and they're telling everybody how much they gave. And, he, and she felt guilty that, you know what, all I have is these two mites. But she gave what she had to the Lord and I should have looked that up. But Jesus commended her. I can't remember what the wording was, but Jesus commended her. I think, she's, I think he said that she's given more than they all uh, because she gave... What in, the, what in the sight of the world was a very small thing, but God commended her so much more than people that gave a higher monetary value, you see. And much of our discipleship, much of our service to Christ is diligent, unimpressive, daily faithfulness that is not visible to the outside world, okay? Okay. It's internal, private devotion. And if you get your heart right, then the external actions will take care of themselves. Okay? But most of our discipleship is, is not big, grand events. It's daily, diligent faithfulness. And those are the small things that God sees fit to bless. And there's so many examples that we can give. How, how your small contribution that God can take that small contribution and do exceeding abundantly above all that you could have thought of that very small contribution. So many examples we can give to that. <clears throat> it says in Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the waters. In faithfulness, cast your bread upon the waters and it will return unto you after many days, right? Be faithful to give what you have to the Lord Regardless of how small you may think it is, God is in the business of doing great things with small contributions, right? And we see that all throughout Scripture. Now the parable of the leaven. <clears throat> Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. And I believe that this is probably the only reference in Scripture where leaven is presented in a positive context. Think about how leaven is normally presented. Jesus warned the disciples to, be, to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And leaven is also presented in regards to sin. Uh, the, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 5 were not dealing 
with a unrepentant sinner in their midst in the manner that they ought to. And he said, look, you have to take care of this. You have to protect the body as a whole. Why? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And that's certainly true in a sinful context, isn't it? The nature of sin is not to diminish. The nature of sin is to spread. The nature of sin is to leaven the whole lump. And that applies in our individual life. That applies in the church. The nature of sin is to spread and therefore be very wary when you are ignoring that unrepentant sin. Why? Because it will inevitably spread. So those are some negative contexts of leaven, right? But here he says this is a positive context that the kingdom of God will grow and expand here in this world. That should be the natural disposition that should be the natural nature of the kingdom of God here in this world is to grow and to expand and to fill the whole up. Now, leaven is essentially yeast. So when he says here, hit it in three measures of meal, you put yeast in the middle of bread, and the nature of yeast, just the biological, natural component of, of yeast, what does it naturally do if you leave it by itself? It spreads, right? That's the natural disposition of yeast. And we talked about that in the negative context. The natural disposition of sin is to spread. But also the natural disposition of the kingdom of God should be to spread, to grow. And he said, look, this kingdom will grow and expand until it fills the whole earth. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. We've visited this quite a few different times in our consideration of the kingdom of heaven. And it's vitally important that we understand this because the kingdom of heaven was established during the days of Jesus Christ. It's not a coming future kingdom. It is right here and right now. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, established in the days of this Roman Empire. So we have this image that Nebuchadnezzar saw that Daniel is giving him the explanation of this image and he says that you are the head and these other successive kingdoms culminating in the Roman Empire of the legs and the feet that are displaying worldwide kingdoms that would not just come in the world but that, but that would be ruling the Jewish people over the next hundred years, the next four hundred years of silent years when God was not giving them prophetic vision, he actually told them the kingdoms that would be ruling over them during that time period. <clears throat> so he gives this image culminating in the Roman Empire of the legs of iron in verse 33, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken to pieces and came like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away and no place was found for them and the stone that smote them became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. See, that's the leavening, isn't it? This kingdom was established, and this kingdom was going to grow. This kingdom was going to spread. And this kingdom eventually filled the whole earth. It filled the whole loaf of bread, if you will, right? He says in verse 44, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, and it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. And God, the great God, hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. So the kingdom of God was established to permeate and to fill and to consume the whole earth. And that is what we see happening in the book of Acts of the Apostles. Now remember, go to Acts chapter 1. But remember, during the ministry of Jesus Christ, he told the apostles, and he even said of himself for a period of time, that 
I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay? So Jesus did not have an evangelistic preaching tour the same way that Paul did later on in the establishment of the early church, right? He did, uh, Jesus Christ didn't go to Ephesus and Thessalonica and Corinth and Antioch and all these places. Jesus didn't do that. What was Jesus' ministry focused on during his three and a half years? Primarily the Jews. Now, he, he, he made a few little detours to the Samaritan lands, right? But they were still really Jews, too. Uh, the Jews viewed them separately, but they were kind of the remnants of the northern ten tribes that broke off from the tribes of Judah, and then they ended up going into, um, going into Assyrian a, a captivity, and then they sent people back uh, from Assyria to kind of commingle with them, and that's where this mixed race of the Samaritans came from and all this. But really, the Samaritans, they had a Jewish background in and of themselves, right? And there was a couple interactions with with uh, some Gentile centurions and other things like that, but very minimal, very minimal. So Jesus said, my ministry is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the children of God among the Jews. I'm going to preach the gospel to all the Jews, but we know that the gospel is foolishness to those who are not born again. So those that are unregenerate among them, not only did they ignore him but many of them wanted to wanted to kill him for that because of their hatred of Christ and their hatred of the word of God <clears throat> despite a religious pretense that they displayed to to people around them so primarily during Jesus's ministry he was called and he told the apostles to only preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and they were still under that command, right? You know, when God makes a command, that is a binding command until he gives another command to overrule it, right? But we did not have the authority uh, to cease the observance of the Old Testament law, the Sabbath, the unclean and clean animals, uh, the year of jubilee, the day of atonement, all those things. We did not have the authority to just arbitrarily say, uh, I don't want to do those anymore. The reason why we don't do those anymore is because that law has been superseded by the New Testament, by the new commandment. So the, 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 the original apostles, they still believe for a period of time that they were only supposed to preach primarily to the Jews. And that was a binding commandment until God told them otherwise. Now, he did tell them otherwise, but as with the disciples many times and with us as well, uh, it doesn't always get through the first time, right? <laughs> it doesn't always click uh, when, it, when he tells us that the first time. Uh, so what he tells them right before his ascension, when you mesh together the end of Matthew chapter 28 and then in Acts chapter 1 when you bring those together you're going to find this is right before he ascended up into heaven. In Matthew 28 and in verse 18 Jesus came and spake unto them all power is given unto me in heaven and earth go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now these Jews should have been paying attention um, and should have been reading the Old Testament um, scriptures where there are so many references to the Gentiles being brought into gospel knowledge into the kingdom. I mean, it is all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus quoted it very many times. And many examples of, of the Gentiles being brought into the gospel kingdom. But now Jesus is setting a new commandment. Go therefore and teach all nations, not just Jews anymore, right? Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all way, even to the end of the world. So what is the commission of the kingdom of God? To teach, to baptize, 
and then to keep on teaching, right? To make disciples, to to add new people to the kingdom by the direction of the Holy Spirit and by the providence of God. Now, we don't have the ability to just add people to the kingdom by ourselves, right? We know that. That is the Lord that adds to the church. But how, how did the church grow from 120 people to thousands of people? How did that happen? It, it happened by them making external disciples. We need to have more of an external vision of the church. Permanent Baptist, we've hunkered down too much and we've had uh, too much internal perspective and all we ever do is focus on Permanent Baptist. We need to have an external vision of the kingdom because he said, look, you go and make disciples and if the only people you have ever preached to are Jews, then therefore, you have, if you're going to make disciples of all nations, you're going to have to preach to people you've never talked to before. You're going to have to make disciples of people that don't know about Jesus. You're going to have to make disciples of people that don't know the truths of God's word. So you need to have an external perspective to say, to know that you are called to go and teach all nations and have an external focus of making disciples. And the Primitive Baptist Church has lost that external focus. And we need to regain that. But he says, look, go therefore and teach all nations. You used to preach to just Jews, but now this kingdom is going to um, expand to all nations. And he tells them something very similar <clears throat> in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Now, when we're praying for open doors and we're trying to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in the expansion and the growth of the kingdom of God, we never can put the cart before the horse, right? We always have to wait on the Lord to open the door. Primarily, we have to wait on the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. You know, zeal's good, but unchanneled zeal can be a problem, <laughs> okay? There's a lot of people that are zealous, but they need focus and direction in that zeal. So the first commandment of the original church in the expansion and the growth and this leavening of the kingdom, the first commandment is actually to wait. To wait. To wait on the manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, Jesus spent 40 days teaching, which by the way, back up to verse 3, what was the focus of Jesus' teaching? during the 40 days after his resurrection and before his ascension, what was the primary focus of his teaching? To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? And his righteousness, and that was at the very top of Jesus' list between resurrection and ascension was to teach them about the kingdom of God. And he said, wait, wait for this special outpouring and manifestation of the Holy Ghost. And then the apostles bless their heart, they still don't get it, just like us. You know, you got to tell us 20 times and we still don't get it. They, they said, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> You know, sometimes as a, as a preacher, it gives me a little bit of comfort to know that Jesus, the perfect Son of God, preached for 40 days about the kingdom of God, and they still did not understand anything about the kingdom. <laughs> Bless their heart. You know, now, now uh, what I need to do is just keep on preaching it, and we pray the Holy Spirit that it'll make sense at some point. But Jesus preached to them for 40 days about the kingdom. He's about to go back to heaven, 
And bless their heart, they still don't understand any almost anything he talked about. <laughs> they said, finally, at when this Holy Ghost, now this Holy Ghost coming down sounds excited. Is that when we're overthrowing the Romans? <laughs> when the Holy Ghost shows up, is that when we're finally kicking the Romans out of Jerusalem? That's what we're looking for. That's what I'm getting excited about. They still didn't get it, bless their heart. <laughs> and another thing that's funny about this, he tells them right here, you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. He told them before, you're going to go to all nations. And it wasn't until you had this kind of intermediate uh, ministry in Acts chapter 8 when Philip went to the Samaritans, which are still kind of Jews, but it's, it's the exact progression that we find here in verse 8. But then in Acts chapter 10, when Peter finally um, goes to... Cornelius just straight up goes to a Gentile, not, not just kind of random interactions with Gentiles. Those happened here and there. But I am making a purposeful decision to go preach to a Gentile. Even at the initial command to do that, Peter still didn't understand that either, right? Because that vision came down and showed all these unclean animals. And he said, no, I've never partaken of anything that's unclean. And then he later says that God has showed me that what he has cleansed, I don't have the right to call common or unclean anymore. And I think that moment, that moment when it finally clicked by the direction of the Spirit uh, to Peter, at that moment was when all of these things kept rushing, came rushing back into his mind. And that's why we just need to be faithful to teach people, right? That's why uh, you need to be faithful to teach your children. Train a child up in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, there may be a period of time where they don't understand the things that they need to understand. And they not, may not be pursuing Christ in the manner that they ought to. And we don't know the state of, state of their regeneration. They may not be born again at that time. We don't know. Or they may just be rebellious for a period of time. But when things do click, when things do click, if you have been diligent to teach them before, there will be things that rush back into their mind that now they can understand that. Uh, there are many references in, in Jesus' uh, ministry that he said, look, I'm telling you this right now, but you're not really going to understand it until after my resurrection. You know, I'm telling you, and, and by the way, he didn't just tell them those things. He didn't just tell them one time. He told them multiple times, multiple times. Because if you just tell somebody one thing one time, we're probably not going to remember we're just not. We're not going to remember. So he told them multiple times, but then when the light switch got turned on, when things clicked, all those things came rushing back to their mind and say, oh, that's what he was teaching us back then. That's what he meant by that. That's what he meant by all nations. That's what he meant by the uttermost part of you. And that applies in so many different areas. Be faithful to teach the people you have an influence to teach them because hopefully, Lord willing, there will come a time when things click. You know, when you get a little bit older, I know this has been said cavalierly many times, and it's, it's a ha-ha statement, but it's also very true. It's amazing how much smarter your parents get the older you get. Right? It's just amazing. The, the inverse relationship of that. <laughs> you have this very low dip in your parents' knowledge uh, from like ages 13 to 19. And then all of a sudden, your parents' wisdom and knowledge has this very upward trajectory in that graph. Wait a minute. Oh, wait. That's why they told me that back then. That's why they said, no, you don't need to associate with those people. That's why they, now that I've seen the end result of that manner of life. That's why they said, don't, don't do this. That's why they said, maybe even without fully explaining it, no, don't do that. Well, blah, 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 because I said so. Come talk to me in 10 years, and then you'll understand why I said so. <laughs> right? That's why you have to be faithful to teach them, because there will come a time later in their life where things will click, and they will say, oh, wait a minute. That's why he told me that. That's why my mother told me that in the past. And then it all comes to fruition. Okay? So I do think that during that vision there in Acts chapter 10, when Peter was originally kind of hesitant to go to the, to the Gentiles, it finally clicked. And when it clicked, 
that's when all of these teachings of Jesus came rushing back into his mind. And he said, all right, now let's go to all nations. Now let's go to these Gentiles. But it took him a long time to really understand what he was talking about, okay? So then Jesus tells them, no, when the Holy Ghost comes down, that's not when we're overthrowing Caesar. That's not when we're overthrowing the Romans. And furthermore, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And that's a, that's a reality that we go through seasons in our own life, but we go through seasons in the church too. But a season in the church is not 30 years without baptisms. That's not a season. That's a drought. That's a famine. That's a problem. The natural disposition of the kingdom is growth. That's what I want you to understand. The natural disposition of the kingdom is growth. Now, it's very evident that the natural disposition, this is a very unnatural adding. When 3,000 people are added at one time, when 5,000 people are added at one time, those are non-routine establishment of churches, right? But the natural disposition of the kingdom should be that that leaven is growing, right? Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And if you follow the book of Acts, this is the exact geographical pattern that this follows in the book of Acts. Ye shall be witness unto me, first of all in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the exact progression of the book of Acts. And what he's saying right there is this leaven is about to expand. This kingdom is about to grow. This kingdom is going to fill the whole earth because that is the disposition of leaven is to grow. Now, I want to highlight quite a few verses throughout the book of Acts that describe the amazing growth and not just adding, but multiplying of the church in the early days. And I've really been meditating and praying on this, and I, I feel like that we'll probably consider the book of Acts in much more in-depth in hopefully the near future of what does the original church look like. But furthermore, what is God's pattern for a thriving church? A thriving church. Because I'll tell you, the church in the book of Acts is thriving. Thriving. It's, that leaven is expanding, isn't it? That, that leaven is growing in an amazing way. And if we claim to be the original primitive Baptist church, when people ask you what the word primitive means, you need to say original. We, we believe to be the original church. And sometimes I think Primitive Baptists said this in too prideful of a way, that we are the true church. I believe we are the true church. I believe we are the closest representation to the church that is exhibited in the Acts of the Apostles. We are the closest represent, representation in Christianity today of the original church. I believe if you study the scriptures, you will find both in doctrine and in practice that we are the closest representation of that. And I'm thankful for that, and I believe that we are the true church. But I heard Brother Ben Winslet make a comment and a message this weekend that if we claim to be the true church, we are either claiming too much or doing too little. And to quote Brother Vadi Bauckham, that's a pastor in another denomination, if you can't say amen, you better say ouch. If you can't say amen, you better say ouch. If we either claim too much, and I don't think we claim too much. I don't. I don't. I believe we are the closest representation of the original church in Christianity today because we hold to the truth of salvation by grace alone and simplistic worship and church discipline and the integrity of the communion's uh, supper and the washing of the saints' feet and the Lord's Supper. We are the closest representation, I believe, the true church that there is today 
But why is it that no one knows about Primitive Baptist? Why is it that, that our church in the activities, not worship, I was thinking about this this morning. If the Apostle Paul came and he was transplanted back in time, and he said, I'm going to spend a week with you. I'm going to spend a week with, with Macedonian Primitive Baptist Church. I think that he'd really enjoy worship. I do, because it's a good representation of the original church. We preach salvation by grace alone, simplistic worship. He'd really like to know what all the, these lights are, you know. There, there's, some, there's some modern conveniences that we have uh, that, that he wasn't used to. But the thought that I had this morning is then once we left public worship about 12.30 p.m., the Apostle Paul would then say, all right, what are we doing the rest of the week? Because when you read the book of Acts, you find out what the Apostle Paul did the rest of the week. And, and I dare say, now I'm thankful with Macedonia, we do a lot more. We need to do, we need to do even more than, we, than we're currently doing, but there's a lot of primitive Baptist churches that would essentially say nothing. Nothing. Okay, what do we have to do? Paul says, what do we have to do this week? Well, nothing. We'll just come back next week uh, at 1030. <laughs> That's not the way the original church operated. That's not the way the original church operated. You find daily they were in the temple preaching the word of God. You find daily they were ministering to widows that were in need. You find the Apostle Paul was daily in the marketplace in Athens in Acts chapter 17 preaching the word of God. You find that he was daily in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus in the school of Tyrannus preaching daily. The original church was expanding and was growing and if the kingdom of God and our individual churches are not expanding and growing. If the natural disposition of our churches are to diminish instead of expand, then it looks like there may be a problem with the leaven. Right? It may be, maybe, that loaf has got kind of unleavened. Now, now in, in a context, uh, unleavened can be a good thing. You know, we take the Lord's Supper, it's, it's pure... Uh, we do not partake of just loaves of bread that you buy down at Kroger, right? In the Lord's Supper. No, that's not the right thing to use. It's unleavened bread. But if the kingdom is not expanding, in this context, maybe our bread has got a little unleavened because the natural disposition of leaven is to grow. And there's a lot of components to this. And I'll tell you, it starts with the ministry. It all starts with bold, public preaching. It all starts with the ministry. So the ministry's got to fix our problems before we tell the church to fix any of theirs. Okay? And how did it start in Acts chapter 2? What was the original... No, you had to wait on the presence of the Holy Spirit. But what were the components of 3,000 people being added to the church in Acts chapter 2? It was bold, Holy Spirit proclaimed preaching in public. You know, he didn't go, and, and they didn't just, where the church, what? No, this just didn't happen, so y'all bear with me in saying hypotheticals that are irrelevant. I don't like going down hypothetical rabbit trails. But what would happen if all they ever did, which is pretty much what we do as Primitive Baptists, if all they ever did was preach to the 120 disciples in the upper room, what would have happened? What would have happened? Those, those 120 disciples probably would have had really good worship. I think they would have had a really happy time in the Holy Spirit. But I guarantee you 3,000 people wouldn't have been added to the church if all they ever did was preach to the 120 disciples in the upper room. There has to be an external focus, okay? But I want you to notice how amazingly the Lord allowed this leaven of the kingdom to grow and to expand. And it's very easy for, for us to look at this and I will readily admit that this was a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit for the establishment of the church. And I, I know God's able, but I'm not necessarily expecting 3,000 people to join any Primitive Baptist church next Sunday. I'm not necessarily expecting that. 
But one of the songs we sing is that God is just the same today. And you know the last verse in that song? It says, when Pentecost had fully come and fire from heaven did fall, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's just the same today. He's just the same today. And we do not have a diminished presence of the Holy Spirit of God in the kingdom of God today. But what is different is the way the members of the kingdom act to invite the Holy Spirit to give that revival and to give that growth and that expansion. Okay? So God is just the same today. The Holy Spirit is just the same today. And it'd be very easy for us to look at that and say, you know what? I know that God did that way back when. I know he did that, but today is different. And today is different. I will readily admit today is different. But God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. And it is, it, it's not very respectful to the Holy Spirit to say, I'm glad you did that on the day of Pentecost. But man, you just don't understand how bad it is in America. Understand, God grew this church in the middle of, of arguably the most wicked Roman Empire that this world has ever seen. Oh man, our government's so bad. Our government is nothing compared to the Roman Empire. We, we still have First Amendment religious protections. They didn't have that. They were being killed. They were being burned. Nero used them as lamps in his garden. He burned Christians in his lamp and just to light the lamps of his garden. That's the environment that the church was thriving in. So don't you dare blame government. <laughs> don't you dare blame government for problems in the kingdom. As is always the case, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. The problem is always the people. It's us. The problem is always us. But I want you to see how God grew his kingdom how this leaven expanded throughout the whole world. Here in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down, they speak with cloven tongues of fire, speaking tongues that they don't know. And men were pricked in the heart. God always has to be there first, right? He always has to born his people again first, and then the Spirit of God can bless them in the preaching of the word. Verse 41, <clears throat> And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people, all right? And then what did they do? So now we've got 3,120 members of the church, right? What did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. They did a multitude of other things, and we've considered these before. Verse 47, praising God and having faith with all the people, now, when they did all of those things, when they did all of those things that God called them to do, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, we adamantly reject the absolute predestination of all things. We adamantly reject absolutism. For most primitive Baptists, we reject absolutism in everything except for church growth. Church growth, they'll only get here if the Lord wants them here. God wants every single child of God to come to a knowledge of the truth. He told us that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, who would have all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of He wants every single child of God not to say, you know, I love Jesus and I'm glad he loves me, but I sure am glad that I accepted him. I sure am glad that I added something to his work. I sure am glad that I, I got, uh, why are you going to heaven? Well, I got saved on such and such day. Now, I, I, I understand many of them don't understand what they're saying. And, and God blesses them with the knowledge that they have. But I guarantee you, Jesus Christ desires every single one of his children. When, say, when they ask you how they're saved, he does not want that statement starting with a first person pronoun. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> Jesus Christ would be happy. And his desire is for every single one of his children to say, I was saved solely by the free and sovereign grace of Almighty God that Jesus Christ finished the work of salvation on the cross. That's what he desires every single one of his children to say. He desires them in the church. And if they're not, 
we have to look in the mirror. If the kingdom is not expanding, we have to honestly evaluate the reasons why the kingdom is not expanding. And when you look at the book of Acts, again, we, we claim to be the original church, but I don't know of any primitive Baptist church that you could say properly reflects the church that we see in the book of Acts. Because they were doing too much. They were helping people so much. They were preaching so much. They were doing so much in the community that I don't think any of us, any Primitive Baptist Church anywhere, can meet this bar. But that's the bar that we're called to strive toward, all right? Okay, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Then in Acts chapter 4, and in verse 4, Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of them was about 5,000. 5,000 people added to the church. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. The believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. And I thought many times, if the original church was used to 3,000 people joining at a time and 5,000 people joining at a time, how many people do you think they called a multitude? I don't think if one or two people showed up, they considered that a good day. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> what do you think the original church uh, called a multitude being added to the church? It, it was probably thousands. Probably thousands. Now, I noticed this just this morning from chapter 2 to 4 to 5. It's saying that they were added. The Lord added. The Lord added. But it switches language in chapter 6 to not just adding, but multiplying. Now, when things start getting multiplied, they get way bigger really quicker. Right? Right? You know, think about 10 plus 10 is 20. But 10 times 10, that's 100, right? Things, things start getting really big really quick when you start adding instead, when you start multiplying instead of adding. And then it starts using language in Acts chapter 6. And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied. So if the Lord was just adding 3,000, how many people do you think were being added when the Lord started multiplying, Right? It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. And then uh, one of the most important dispositions of the church to allow this amazing growth of the church is, first of all, they were serving in their communities. They were helping the widows that couldn't care for themselves. They were caring in the daily ministration, but it was falling all on the apostles. And they said, look, we don't have time to, to pray and to read the word of God and to preach the way that we need to. So let's appoint seven men to care for this daily ministration. And we have the appointment of these faithful deacons and the apostle said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I understand there's many primitive Baptist churches that don't have as big of a budget to support full-time ministry. But the pattern of the early church is a full-time, everyday preaching ministry. It's so abundantly clear in the New Testament. Because when the, when the church is thriving, when the church is thriving... There are needs in the church 24-7-365. And I will say, a large portion of ministry is not preaching. Now, there's a place for preaching, and we need to preach publicly. But most of pastoring, if we're really pastoring the way that we ought to, most of pastoring is not always preaching. Most of it is ministering to the individual people. And most people don't only have needs for 15 minutes from 12.15 to 12.30 p.m. on Sunday, right? That's not when people have needs. <laughs> they have needs all the time. And if you have a growing and a thriving church, there is going to be needs all the time. And what, what was God's pattern to provide for his sheep? Do you think God called under shepherds to only shepherd the sheep one day a week? 
You know, how many shepherds in Bible times, how many of them would be expecting to have a job next week if they said, you know, I've hired you to be a shepherd. I've hired you to be a shepherd. I want you to take care of my sheep. Okay, I'm happy to work for an hour and a half once a week. Yeah, I, I, I guarantee you when I'm there, for an hour and a half once a week, I guarantee you I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look after them sheep, you know? Now, how many people that are the owner of the sheep is going to say, yeah, I, I'm more than happy with you taking care of my sheep for an hour and a half once a week. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, does it? No. A shepherd's a full-time job. It's a full-time job. So when you have the right disposition of deacons, that are caring for the people. The job of a deacon is not to be a free maintenance worker for the church building. The original church did not have even a building, a designated third-party building for public worship. Now, I'm thankful that we have people that have been able to do that, but um, the role of a deacon is not to be a free grass mower. The role of a deacon is not to be a free maintenance worker. The role of a deacon is to care for the, the people, to care for the body. And as a deacon, if you're not invested in the people, then you're missing the boat. Okay? Now, what happens when you have those deacons that are invested in the people of the church? And then you have a full-time ministry that are able to give themselves uh, continually to prayer and to the ministry. What happens? What's the effect of that when you have the right disposition in the church? But I tell you, if we, there is nothing broken about the Lord's church. Nothing. All we have to do is get back to basics. We have to get back to Acts of the Apostles. We have to get back to basics. What happens when you have that right disposition among the body of Christ, the right disposition of the deacons, the right disposition of a full-time ministry? You can't argue with these effects. <laughs> you can't argue with what happens when you have the right disposition of responsibilities in the church. Verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. And the, Lord, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied. I just added, the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I'm going to give you a few more verses very quickly. Many people were added in Acts chapter 8, but we'll skip that one. Acts chapter 9 and in verse 31. Then they had, uh, then had the churches rest throughout all Jerusalem and Judea, were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and were multiplied. The church was multiplied. And then he baptized many people in Acts chapter 10 in the uh, opening of the door to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. A great number and then much people was added to the Lord. And then everywhere they went, everywhere they went, Acts chapter 13, many, verse 43, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Verse 44, they, they caused such a stir in this city. The whole city came together to hear the word of God. The whole city. They caused such a stir that everyone in that city knew about Paul. Everyone in that city had heard something about Jesus. In Iconium, Acts 14 and verse 1, a great multitude of both the Jews and the Greeks believed. And then, it again, affected the whole city. The multitude of the city was divided. Acts chapter 16 and verse 5, in Derby and Lystra. And I believe, by the way, this is the right disposition that we have to grow individually and then the Lord adds to the church Acts 16 and 5 so were the churches established in the faith we're established ourselves right we establish ourselves and then we increase in number daily daily you know we <laughs> we kind of use the phrase in Primitive Baptist Church we, you know we sing a song and have a, have a handshake sometimes and we say now the doors of the church are open right which means this is your opportunity to, to come and, and make a public profession of faith and, and join the church. Um, well, they didn't just offer an invitation to join the church once a week, did they? No, because people were joining the church every day. By the way, why were they joining the church every day? Because they were fellowshipping every day. Because they were preaching every day. 
because they were studying the Word of God every day. Okay? They increased in number daily. Then Paul makes his way to Thessalonica. Some of them believed, consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Then he goes to Corinth, Acts 18, Crispus, believed on the Lord with all of his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And then Ephesus. Then he makes his way to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And that's when he was preaching in the synagogue every Sabbath, and then daily he was preaching in the school of Tyrannus. And then in verse 10, it says, you want to know the impact that the Apostle Paul's ministry made? This is amazing. Acts chapter 19, verse 10. Just in two years, it didn't take 30 years for this to happen. In two years, all they which dwelt in Asia, now understand that's not the continent of Asia that we're used to on the map, okay? This is mainly the region of Asia Minor, but think about the southeast, okay? Think about a three or four state region in the southeast. Everyone that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, do you think that happened by somebody preaching once a week to just baptize believers? No, it's because he was engaging in an external way the people and the public. I love how the language there, how... When, when something grows, sometimes it, it grows slowly in the beginning, but then when it starts growing, it, it starts growing like even faster, right? And I love that language there in the book of Acts, that at the beginning, the Lord was adding to the church. He was adding to the church, consistently adding to the church, adding to the church. And then, then God really pressed down the gas pedal, right? He wasn't just adding to the church. The church was multiplying. It was multiplying. And I hope the pattern that you see there, if you follow our daily Bible reading plan, you should have went through the book of Acts just recently. And I hope that you have been able to see the pattern there that literally everywhere they went. Now we have to rely on the direction of the Holy Spirit, right? The Apostle Paul was wrong a couple times. Acts chapter 16, he thought he needed to go into Asia. He thought he needed to go into Bithynia. I thought he needed to go over here. But then turned out that wasn't an open door, so we have to rely on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, right? But everywhere he went, the kingdom increased. Everywhere he went, the kingdom expanded. This should be the natural disposition of the kingdom. And we can't be anything other than honest this morning. If we look, have an honest evaluation of not just the Primitive Baptist Church, but it's Christianity as a whole in America, if we have an honest evaluation, I believe we can all agree that the kingdom is diminishing. The kingdom is diminishing. The kingdom is not growing. The kingdom is not thriving. Another aspect of a growing, thriving kingdom is that churches are being planted. That's what was happening, right? I mean, this amazing growth, and, and, it, and it, it was escalating as it growed. And there were churches being added everywhere. Our plus and minus over the last 20 years of churches that are added and churches that are closed, let me tell you, it's a net negative. It's a net negative. The kingdom is diminishing. The kingdom is supposed to expand. The kingdom is supposed to grow. The leaven is supposed to leaven, in a good sense, in this context, is supposed to leaven the whole lump. And God gave us the pattern. God gave us the pattern. And it's amazing how the simplest things are always the most profound. The simplest things are always the most profound. He, he gave us the pattern for the kingdom. It's only up to us to follow that pattern. Because he went back up to heaven, didn't he? And he, he sent the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit works through us to expand the kingdom. That's the point I want you to understand. The Holy Spirit works through us to expand the kingdom. 
And we pray God will bless us to do that to his honor and to his glory. Not that we can build a legacy. Not that we can add members to the roll books. Not that we can do anything to bring attention to ourselves. But solely that the king would be magnified in the kingdom. Right? That's our goal. That's our aim. Is the glory of God. And we pray by his providence and his grace in our life that we can be agents through the guidance of his Holy Spirit, that we can be agents to grow and to expand his kingdom. And we pray that God and his grace would bless us to do that according to his will and his direction, and the Lord would add to his kingdom such as should be saved. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.